return of the midweeks. Hello, my friends. So good to have you back. We're in the book of First Samuel again, and we're looking at a story where Saul does good. This is probably the high point of Saul's career as king. He starts off um, a little bit touch and go in his faith, but this time he is going to really be used by God to rescue the people. So this is the high point of his story, similarly to when Samuel led the people in a great victory a few chapters ago. This is Saul's great victory. And so let's read through the chapter without any further ado. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I'll make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh Gilead, sorry, of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter to the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. So here's what's going on. So you'll remember that Israel is God's promised land, and it's a nation of tribes under God. And when the people are unbelieving and unfaithful, they lose territory, and they're conquered by the surrounding nations. And one of the nations that's arisen to in invade Israel is the Ammonites. Usually it's the Philistines during the reign of Saul and David, but also the Ammonites are at work there. And so the Ammonites are coming to take territory away from Israel. And it seems like the people of Jabesh are used to this kind of thing because when Nahash arrives to conquer the city, they start by offering a treaty. Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. So they're not in faith for victory here. They're not in huge belief, they, they kind of think that they're outnumbered, outgunned, and they're going to be destroyed. Now, Nahash responds with pride. Remember, one of the, the theme of this book is God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if Nahash had simply accepted their offer, he would have gained himself a city. But he responds with pride. He'll say, I'll make a treaty with you as long as you gouge out your right eyes and bring disgrace on all Israel. So he wants to really make it hurt. He wants to blind all the people's right eyes so that there'd be an entire city of people who could only see with one eye, which would probably make them useless for fighting and for work. It would just devastate them, humiliate them. So he wants to humiliate them in his pride. And because of that, ultimately, there's he provokes his own downfall. Now, the elders... Um, respond by saying, well, give us some time to see if someone will help us. So Jabesh, sorry, Nahash goes along with this in some sense. So who knows, maybe he thinks no one will come. Maybe he thinks he'll destroy anybody who who comes and therefore he'll get this victory and get to humiliate them without really much cost. Or maybe he thinks even if someone does show up to defend them, I'll defeat them and then I'll have all of Israel. He thinks this is a good deal. So he and his men just kind of sit down and wait the seven days. Meanwhile, the messengers go out and everyone's devastated that this thing's happening to Israel. Now, before we go any further, I named this chapter uh, Saul Crushes a Snake because Nahash is the Hebrew word for snake. And so what you have here is um, almost a reliving of the Garden of Eden. Uh, The snake has come to God's people in order to destroy them. And the big question is, will an Adam arise to save them? The um, 
the Lord, after the snake deceived Eve, remember he said that he's going to make a seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the snake. And so that's God's plan to do through his people. And the question is, is God going to send someone to crush the head of this snake? And the answer is yes. In this case, Saul is going to fulfill his role by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to crush the head of Nahash, this snake who is threatening the people of God. So starting in verse 5 again, Now behold, Saul was coming from behind, from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people, that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was kindled. And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. Okay, let's stop there. That's four verses. So we switch locations from Jabesh Gilead, and now we move back to where Saul is. You could have been wondering, hey, where's Saul in all this? The last chapter ended with Saul holding his peace with these guys who didn't want him to be king, and then it goes to Jabesh Gilead, and now we're back with Saul. Now, interestingly, Saul is plowing the field with the oxen. Remember when he first met Saul, what was he doing? He was out chasing oxen. He was out chasing animals, at least. I don't remember if it was donkeys or oxen. I'm pretty sure it was oxen. And so he's out chasing the oxen. So here we are, we meet him again, but he's got the oxen, which is kind of weird. What was he doing during this time? Shouldn't he have been being king somewhere? Who knows? Doesn't really matter. God's got the situation for Saul to respond to. When Saul hears about what's going on, the spirit of God rushes upon him, which is great. This is a sign that God's with him, like the judges of old, who had the spirit of God rush on them to give them victory in battle, that same spirit rushes on Saul to give him victory in battle. And he's really angry about what's happening here. So he's really provoked that someone would attack Israel. And so he's really angry. He's moved by the Holy Spirit and he takes these oxen and cuts them to pieces, which is really good. This is the sign that Saul is actually now turning away from his old life and turning to the path that God has for him. And you might remember, um, Many years later, when Elijah calls Elisha, Elisha actually destroys the oxen that he's plowing with when Elijah calls him. So there's kind of this theme of like getting rid of the old life. This would be similar to um, the disciples who left their father's boats and nets and followed Jesus. They're turning away from the old life to follow God. And he uses these bits of oxen to spread the message to call out the people. And there's a bit of a curse. Now, this isn't the best, starting off with a curse. Cursing the people, or potentially cursing the people, is going to come back to bite him when he lays a curse on the people not to eat, and Jonathan, his own son, ends up eating during a later battle. So this is this habit is going to come back to bite him. He didn't need to do this, but um, God uses it to make the dread of the Lord fall on the people, and they all come out. So when it says they came out as one man, that just means everybody came out. You might remember at the end of Judges, the Levite does a similar thing, except he's cut up his concubine to get all of the people to assemble to fight against the Benjaminites. So this, there's an echo of this, but this is much better to cut up your oxen and not a person. Um, but there's a similar thing here where there's this great attention-getting act of cutting up the oxen along with this call from Saul to gather together. It's also interesting that 
Saul says Saul and Samuel. To the best of our knowledge, Samuel isn't there. So there's almost this sense of Saul maybe being a little political here and pulling Samuel's name into this act where it really is just Saul. And Saul could have just said, come after me because God was with him. The Spirit of God was on him. All he needed to say was, come after me in the name of the Lord. And that would have been good enough. But maybe he's leaning on Saul in some way that's not going to bear good fruit in the end. So all the people come out. There's 300,000 people of Israel, and the men of Judah are 30,000. Now, I'm not sure why they they number them Israel versus Judah. I think later on, there's Judah and Israel are separated. Remember, in, after um, the time of Solomon, um, the, the nation is split into two. And so there's Israel, which is the larger portion of the land. And then there's Judah, which has the kingship and has the kingship under David. And it also has the temple. And so it seems like when people are writing these stories, they have that fact in mind that the nations will split. And so they number the people by Israel and Judah already up to this point. Verse 9, they said to the messengers who had come, thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. So early in the morning, but or later in the morning, like, you know, whatever it's going to be, 9, 10 o'clock. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad, so they believed the promise. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. So they these men understand warfare. They've got this army outside of their city. The army doesn't expect anything to happen. They're making it look like the messengers have come and told them, no one's going to come and help you. They, they just want to protect their own lives. They know they're going to die if they come and help you. No one's going to come. And so they're saying, Tomorrow we'll give ourselves up to you, and you may do whatever seems good. And so it's a ploy. It's a trap. It's a trick. It's meant to cause the attacking army to keep their guard down. Verse 11, The next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, and not, so that not two of them were left together. So Saul employs some good strategy here. He splits up the companies to attack from multiple directions, which doesn't allow the Ammonites to have a united front and causes some confusion and chaos. And they attack in the morning, which is a great time to attack people before they've had breakfast and before they've had time to kind of gather themselves together. So early, early in the morning, they attack and there's a long battle and Israel has a great victory and Saul has a great victory. All right, so here we go. Chapter 11, verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Saul sh Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for, the, for today the Lord has worked a great salvation. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So this is interesting. Notice in verse 12, after this victory in battle, it says, And the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? So maybe Samuel was there. Samuel isn't mentioned before, except Saul says, Come after Saul and Samuel. So maybe Samuel was there. Maybe we don't know it. Or maybe this is at a different location. Maybe this is a few days later. We're not totally sure. But you can see the people appealing to the higher authority of Samuel, the one who installed Saul. And so they're still relying on him somewhat. Um, 
Saul has been anointed, he's been presented by Lot, but the people haven't fully embraced him yet, and so um, they say this to Saul. But then Saul interjects and says, no, no one's going to be put to death this day because the Lord has worked a great salvation. Now, this is a high point of Saul's faith. This is a high point of his humility. Remember, God gives grace to the humble. So Saul could have said, yes, let's put them to death and then everything will be unified. We, I don't have any enemies. But instead, he saves the lives of these people who had despised him. Now that God, he's proven himself in battle, God has proven that he's with Saul in battle. He saves the lives of his enemies. So he has grace. Um, sorry, he humbles himself and has grace. And this is a really good thing. Um, later on in his life, Saul is going to become more paranoid and he's going to actually end up killing a lot of innocent people who were not his enemies. So that's part of the trajectory of Saul is that he, is, he starts off a lot better than he ends. And then they get together and they have a party where they reinstall Saul as king. It's like renewing of the vows in marriage. They renew the kingdom. They get together. They have sacrifices to the, before the Lord and all the men of Israel rejoice greatly. So this is a great chapter. Chapter 11 is a great chapter. The next chapter, chapter 12, is going to be one where the people of Israel get a rebuke again. Remember the kingship is started with mixed motives. The people want it for a bad reason, but God is going to use it for a good purpose in his kingdom. And so we see the good purpose of chapter 11 on display where God uses this new king to deliver Israel from a real threat, an evil king, a wicked king, a cruel king. They are rescued through Saul. And in the next chapter, we're going to revisit afresh the unbelief that provoked acting for, asking for a king. And so the Lord is uh, not only taking care of his people through a military leader, he needs to keep taking care of their hearts by calling them to faith, correcting and rebuking them when they need it. All right, there is the book of 1 Samuel. Um, we should have faith that God is with us. Many of us can be discouraged, feeling like we're imperfect people, and we want God to work on our character, and we want God to work on our faith, yet we can trust, as we have the Holy Spirit of God with us, that God will work through us, even as he's working on us, just like he did with Saul. Gave Saul a great victory, even though Saul had work on his character to do, God is with us to work his kingdom through us, even if we aren't perfect yet. So let's have great faith in this God who opposes the proud but gives such grace to the humble. And let's keep seeking to be those humble people who welcome the grace of God. And amen.